Welcome, family. Good morning. Let's try it again. I'll say welcome, family. You say good morning. Welcome, family. Good morning. morning. Uh, Welcome to those of us that join us online as well. Uh, We are so glad uh, that you're with us today. Uh, So we have uh, been in this sermon series called Created uh, for Connection. We kicked it off uh, last week, and we kind of talked about why connection was important, and I kind of showed you some of the reasons for that. But, but just kind of the bottom line in this is connection is super important, not only to our spiritual lives and our emotional lives, but our physical lives. The research shows that close connections with a small group of people and then a good group of people that you're also connected to is the number one predictor of how whether you'll die in the next 10 years or so, right? So surprise, surprise, science is catching up with God saying, we really do need each other. Amen? Say, we really do need each other. Yeah, and as it turns out, God created the church specifically around those needs in our life, that within the body of Christ, we would have this larger group of people uh, that we kind of call family, and we love, and we're connected, and maybe we don't know everybody's names quite as well and all that, but we're connected. And then within that, we should have a, a smaller circle, we've talked about rows and circles, a circle of people that we're really close to, uh, that we care about a lot, what we call refrigerator friends, those people that can just open the refrigerator when they come over, okay? Amen. <laughs> You're still working on that one a little bit. That's okay. So um, as has become my habit, we, uh, we have a memory verse uh, with all of our uh, sermon series. And so let's say this one together. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, John 13, 34. And so I love, I love this because it changed my perspective growing up. I grew up in a time when we would memorize the three spiritual laws and the four spiritual laws and the Kennedy plan and all that sort of stuff. I actually, as a kid, knocked on a few doors and said, do you know for sure that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven, right? That was not very effective. You know, (laughs) you're all laughing because, yeah, all of that happened to me. So, but it turns out none of that is what scripture says for winning people to Christ. What winning people to Christ is they will know we are his disciples if you have love for one another. Amen. That's the heart. That's the most important thing. If you want to win people to Jesus, love the people uh, around you. It's it's all about that. So this morning, uh, I want to kind of start off with a question. If, if you're on our family page, uh, it's a kind of a closed Facebook page. Uh, if you're not, you should get on it. But sometimes I ask questions as sermon prompts. Uh, and so here's the question uh, I asked and many of you gave an answer to. Uh, did I go, we go out? Okay, I'll let you bring it back. So here's the question while it's coming up because you'll be able to bring this. What would you do if you knew you, you only had one day left to live? What would you do? Just quickly. Well, that's not good. (laughs) Whatever, you know. (laughs) So uh, what a lot of you said was something along the lines of, I would gather the people I love around me and tell them that I love them and say goodbye and and all of those kinds of things. And I I think that's exactly right. When I thought about this, that's what it meant to me uh, as well. And as you know, a few years ago, I had a cancer that was supposed to kill me. So I actually thought about this question uh, a little bit. The other 
one that I, that I think I would add to that uh, is, is I would make a lot of co- phone calls to thank people who had invested in my life. Uh, because I've told you before, I have vastly exceeded my own talent because of the people that have poured themselves into me uh, and helped me in so many ways. So um, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus, when he knew he had one day left to live, he washed feet. Think about that for a minute. Of all the things he could have done, knowing that he was at the end, he, he washed feet. And not the clean kind like we have, right? You know? Any of you have been involved in a foot washing service? Well, I have a little bit. It's not a real popular thing because you wash feet, you know? Uh, but, but when we do it, you know, we got shoes on and socks. And generally, if you know ahead of time, you put on your best socks so they look really nice, you know? If they surprise you in a service, it's like, okay, what kind of socks do I have on? Do I have any holes in my socks, you know? Kind of a deal. Um, and, and you get this, you know, we had taken a shower and washed that day, and you get this nice clean foot. But in the first century, people walked everywhere they went, right? And there wasn't like nice paved roads. It was like dirty, dusty trails. In fact, some of the historians talk about as much as an inch of dust sometimes in summer that's just piled up there. And if it happened to rain, it didn't rain a lot, but if it happened to rain, you got mud, right? And so these are the kind of uh, feet that, that had to be dealt with, that Jesus dealt with uh, when, when he was there. And just a couple of other things. He had to deal with Peter, who argued with him. You'll see that. I'm going to kind of skip over that. But, and he also, get this, he washed the feet of Judas. That is one of the most powerful statements about who's in that I've ever met in my life, that Jesus would literally wash the feet of Judas, already knowing that Judas was going to betray him, and he washed the feet of Judas. So if you think that you're not good enough to be a part of us and the kingdom of God, you're not Judas, okay? You don't even have the opportunity to be that bad. We love you, and we are for you, and we want to wash your feet. Amen. Not literally, okay, but we want to, you know, well, you get the idea. <laughs> so, um, uh, oh man, we're still struggling with that. So um, let's uh, look at the text this morning. If you have your Bibles, it's found in John uh, chapter 13, 1 through 15. Um, and uh, let me give you kind of a little context. Hopefully we'll get it back up here. Um, but the context of this is that, that Jesus is the end of his earthly ministry, right? He, he's he's uh, triumphal, inter, in, uh, triumphal entry. He's had the week together. Uh, and he is in the final moments of, of his life. And he has gathered his, re- his refrigerator friends, his, his people that are really close to him that he, he loves. The disciples are together. And it's, it's Passover, which is like, way bigger than anything we have in the United States. It's when they celebrated that the angel of death passed over the children of Israel uh, as they were coming out just before they came out of slavery and and all of that. And so it's a great time of rejoicing for them. Jerusalem would have been packed with people, just like massively packed with them. Um, And and he is looking forward to eating the meal uh, with his disciples. Uh, And just so some side notes, a couple of things. Um, when they got there, it would have smelled wonderful because in the first century, they did not get a lot of meat in their diet, you know? So the, the, when they, they're, they're preparing this lamb, it would have been like, oh, man. You know what it's like, you know, when you, you Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner and you walk in the house and go, oh, yeah. Multiply by 10, right? Because they didn't get any of that sort of thing. And the second thing that would have happened, because they lived in a desert environment, they rarely got to take baths. 
But for special occasions, they got to take baths. And so everyone would clean. So this is like, this is like a major olfactory feast that's happening at this, right? Everybody's clean, and you can smell the lamb and all the food that's going on uh, in all of that. So that's the context. Um, so let me, um, let me read to you. I'm going to start uh, in chapter 13, uh, verse uh, one, uh, one, this chapter 13 of John 1 through 15. It says this, now before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. So he knows he's at the end. It's not a surprise. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Say he loved them to the end. Again, a very powerful and important part of what's going on in this, and just theology in general. I want you to know this. No matter what's going on in your life or what has happened in your past or how big your struggles are, God loves you to the end. Amen? That is so important that you understand that. To the very, it kind of reminds me of the marriage covenant. We talk about covenant, you know. It's until what does you part? death, right, and to love them to the end. That's why we kind of tie marriage to the relationship with God. It is this lifelong covenant uh, of connectedness with God. So he loved them to the, to the end, okay? Uh, and then verse uh, 2, uh, the devil had already decided or entered in that Judas, uh, son of Simon Iscariot, would betray him and during the supper. So Jesus knew that, that this was coming. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the supper, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself, okay? Um, So he's preparing in that moment. Uh, And then he says, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around around him, right? So he's moving one to the next to the next. He comes to Peter, and Peter being Peter argues with Jesus, right? You know? I, it's kind of like, I, this is part of the reason I love God. I love Peter because he just represents this relationship to God that seems awkward and strained and out of whack about half the time. So we're going to skip over that for time's sake. After he had washed their feet, uh, skipping down to verse 12, um, and put on his robe and had reclined again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? Jesus was a master of the awkward question, okay? 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, okay? He's going to make us do this. Verse 15, for I have set you an example that you also should wash, should do as I have done for you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's try it again. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yes. So um, here, last week I, I kind of told you uh, that when it comes to relationships, whether it be you know, a marriage or a relationship in a larger group, real relationships are both beautiful and messy. Amen. That's, that's just the nature of it. Uh, romanticized relationships don't last. They just don't because that wears off and, and, you know, you have to get into truly loving one another like Christ told us to love one another sacrificially in all of that. Any of you who've been married for like a day and a half understand that, right? <laughs> Giggles, nervous laughter, you know, spouses, uh, you know, I don't... So, 
Uh, and, and it just kind of goes this idea I've said to you uh, before, uh, and this is what I call the great Disney lie. And the great Disney lie is, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> right? You know, they may have worked a lot and had a happy marriage. I hope that's the case in a deeply satisfying marriage. I think marriage is an extraordinary gift because you love this person for a lifetime. But it is not happily ever after. Sometimes it is very unhappily right now. Amen? <laughs> You're all afraid. That's, that's just the truth of it. And so they had to work uh, at, at, at loving one another and serving and forgiving each other and communicating with, with each other and, and sticking it out when it would have been easier to just go on to the next sort of thing. So here's what I understand uh, this to be. Um, am I in a place? No, okay. Um, deep relationships are hard work. Deep relationships are hard work, you know. If you want a shallow relationship, okay. But if you want a deep relationship, a meaningful relationship, it's hard work. Marriage is hard work. Don't tell kids that it's not, that it's all wonderful. That's just the, the truth of the matter. Get this, raising children is hard work, you know. You just kind of get adjusted to the spouse and think, okay, things are going good, and you decide to have a baby. And then it's like, not only is are raising kids hard work, but in those early years, you don't get any sleep. It's just, it's crazy the way this is put together. It's hard work. Now, I would argue that those are some of the most satisfying things you do in life, is have a good marriage and raise great kids. Amen. But it's a ton of work, and it's, it's hard, and that's okay. A, a quote from uh, last week, Sherry uh, Turkle, uh, when she said this, this is just really stuck with me. We desire the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. We desire the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Deep friendship is, is work, okay? So imagine this for Jesus. Get kind of back to that situation. Uh, Jesus comes into that room looking forward to this day, right? He knows he's at the end of the, his life. He's about done. This is his last meal. He's going to spend it with the people he loves uh, and connect with them. And, and then it's on to, the, on to the garden and on to the cross. It gets much, much harder after this. He's, he has this joy. It's Passover. You know, he is going to be the lamb that, that is sacrificed. And he's willingly giving his, his life. But, but there's this weird thing that happens if you look at this, this same set of situations in Luke. Luke records that they were having a raging argument about who was first. So imagine Jesus. Three years he's poured his life into these people. He's looking forward to this final moment and all that that would mean. And he opens the doors and they're arguing with one another. Like a bunch of little children. Really, did your children not argue? You're all looking at me like, oh, I don't kind of get. My children argued. In fact, they out and out fought from time to time. And so it must have been incredibly discouraging for him to kind of come into that kind of situation. And, and get this, this is what blows me away. Jesus poured his life, the Son of God in flesh poured his life. He was their pastor for three years and they still didn't get it. And that gives me great hope because when you don't get it, I'm going like, hey, even with Jesus, they didn't, you know, so I'm good, I'm good, you know, so. They were still selfish and self-centered and divided and, and all of that. And in one sense, you kind of want to scream in that moment. Uh, and, and we want to say, oh, well, this wouldn't happen to us, but can I just be really frank, something I probably see that you probably don't just because of my position. But I have literally been in the hospital room 
with a dying saint that's about to step off into glory, and the kids on either side are arguing literally over mom or dad about money. You know? I've been there. I've seen this. So we want to say, hey, that couldn't happen to us, but, but it, it really could happen to us. So Jesus, instead of getting angry and expressing his frustration in all of that, got up from the table, you know, and he walks over to the basin of water. By the way, these, that's what this represents, the basin of water and the towel for the servant. That's why we put it down there because this is one of the most important symbols in, in the church. He walks over there. He, he takes off his outer garment and, and sets it aside and picks up a towel and wraps it a, around his, his waist. He is now dressed like a slave. And by the way, in the ancient world, in Judaism, this is such a lowly, awful task that Jewish slaves don't have to do it. It's only Gentile slaves, women, and children that have to do this task. Sorry, ladies, I didn't make the rules for the first century, okay? And, and so he, he now moves to the first one and he gets, picks up his feet that would have been laid out and, and starts to clean his feet. And, and, and again, it's, it's, you know, road, dust, and mud and, and, and all of that kind of stuff that would have been a part of that awful, awful task. And I don't know exactly how it goes on, but I have an imagination. I imagine the argument is going on as Jesus gets to that first person. Because you know when you get involved in an argument, you kind of lose track of what's going around you. And Jesus is the first person who starts washing his feet. And that person probably fell silent pretty quickly. And then the next person. And somewhere in there, the rest of them begin to realize that Jesus has taken on the lowliest of the lowliest roles of servant. And I imagine that caused the argument to go quiet. I'm the greatest, and Jesus is washing your feet. That would kill the argument really quickly in that. The argument dies, and suddenly it seems less important who is the most important. And, and in the midst of all of that, uh, he, he kind of moves through until he gets to Peter, who, of course, argues with him about that. But at the end, when he's all done, this is what he, he asks this question. He says, do you know what I have done for you? that awkward question. And the answer to that is, no, they don't. They still don't get it in all of that. They're clueless because, because they've been so involved and so self-absorbed so often, so often in families and, and in churches and in communities, we find ourselves arguing about things that don't really matter in light of eternity. Amen? Amen. I mean, we think they matter, until you get to the end of life and all of a sudden it doesn't matter anymore. Can I tell you something? Just an insight from, again, having really, really deadly cancer. When you think you are going to die, there's a whole bunch of stuff you used to thought was, think was important that doesn't seem important anymore. Amen. There's a clarification that comes in, in, in that moment, okay? Here's the reality. Selfishness blinds us. It does. It makes us blind to the other stuff that go around when we're in this selfish mode. We think acts of service don't make any, any kind of a sense at all in all of that. All of you have experienced either when you were a teenager or having teenagers when they just think that you are clueless and don't understand, right? Here's, here's the way it goes, and we all did this when we were teenagers too. You know, when, when the kids are little, you are like the smartest thing on earth, right? You know, they come to you with every problem. It is so good for your ego, you know? And somewhere in there, adolescent kicks in, and you start getting dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and dumber and dumber. And, and you can measure this by, by how bold they are with the eye roll, right? You know, it's like... <laughs> 
Oh boy, right? And it, it just goes down and down and down, and you think, I, you know, I'm never going to have, this is, this is awful. Uh, by, by the way, I do want to say to you, hold on if you're in that stage, because they grow up, and then they get married, and you get a little smarter. And then kids come along, and you just go like, <laughs> please help me with this. What are we going to do with this kid, Dad? <laughs> so, um, but the truth of the matter is, we all can be really selfish, and we can all miss it. I'm going to tell you a story. Time's going by quickly here, but just because just I want you to know I'm there too. By the way, I didn't say this at the beginning, but if you want to come to this church because we're a perfect church, you're going to be disappointed. And if you want a perfect pastor, you're really going to be disappointed, and I'm about to clear that up for you. When I was in college, um, I had the, the opportunity to be studying philosophy and theology and hung out with a lot of really intellectual kinds of people and enjoyed a lot of those discussions. I, I still enjoy those sorts of discussions. My dad, on the other hand, didn't finish the 10th grade. And he wasn't in a particularly articulate sort of man. Talking wasn't really his thing. And, and I, I remember one time he had come down to visit us. I was like a junior. And so a bunch of my friends were hanging out and my dad was in there. And, and he said a couple of things that I was like, oh, oh man. And pretty soon I found myself pretty embarrassed about my father who, you know, stopped in the ninth grade after the ninth grade. And I, I began to, you know, shuffle him off from, from my friends and say, we got to go, you know. And I, I could tell by the look in his face, he knew exactly what I w was doing. My dad didn't get a chance to go to college uh, because of a lot of things in his life. And um, he wanted to be a doctor. Uh, and he had the IQ. His IQ was 130. Um, but he lived a pretty wicked life. You've heard me talk about that, that kind of sidetracked all of that. The crime and homelessness and addiction and all of those sorts of things until he, he met Christ and that radically changed his life. So I just want to say to you, if you're stuck in those kinds of things, I believe Christ can deliver you from all of that, okay? It may be a process, but Christ can do it because I've seen it in my own family. So as a result of that, he eventually became an x-ray uh, technician. Uh, he was head of the department, and so uh, he worked. And, and one of the things that x-ray technicians do, have to do back then, less so now, was you had to take call. And if there's a car accident, they would call you in the middle of the night, and you'd have to come, and you'd have to go, and then you'd go back to bed, and then you'd get back up for work, and, and, and all of that. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that in order to give his son what he never had, for years and years, he took extra call. He literally paid with his sleep so that he could raise money so that his son could have the college education that caused him to be embarrassed about his father. And I'm embarrassed about that story, but it's not because of my father. I'm ashamed of that because I was so selfish in that moment. I couldn't see anything except what mattered to me and my reputation and all of that, completely setting aside the fact that I had an extraordinary father that loved me and put it all to make me get through all of that and was willing to just shuffle off without saying anything about it. You see, selfishness blinds us to what's going on around us. And, and so in the midst of this, Jesus asked, do you, do you know what I have done for you? Nope, certainly do not. So humble service has a way of sticking with a person. 
Humble service as a way of sticking with the person, okay? It's more powerful than words or lectures or, or sermons. I tell you all the time, what you do will influence your children more than what you say, amen? amen. What they see you do, they are watching. That same principle applies in life in general. The Holy Spirit has a way of using our actions to pierce the armor of others and get into their heart. That's why I said, by your love, they will know that you're my disciples, okay? And I had the gift of parents that embodied that. Neither one of them, my mom was more articulate than my dad. She did teaching and that kind of thing. But my dad, my dad just, that, that wasn't his thing. He wasn't a, a talker. And when they'd call on him in church to pray, it was like, oh boy, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. But if you've seen some of the posts, when I post like on my dad's birthday or anniversary of his death, you'll see this long line of people that want to jump in and comment and talk about the influence he had in their life because he was a man of serving others. He just served everybody around there. He knew he couldn't give great speeches. He knew he couldn't do that, but he knew that he, he, he could serve. And he had an outsized impact, not because he had great words, his son is the talker, but because he served people. And he loved them through all, all of that. So humble service is transformational. Let me say that again. Humble service is transformational. It is transformational to the person you serve, the difference you make in their life. This is so countercultural. But when we serve others, it makes a huge difference in the people around us. It changes lives. I, I see that all the time. I recently posted my mom, same thing, and just this long list of people. When I die, there's going to be like two people that are going, well, yeah, he was okay, you know, kind of thing. Because I use words mostly, and, and that's a part of it. So, um, healthy church is built on washing feet. Healthy church is built on washing feet. Pushing in rather than pulling out. I've said to you this before. In marriage, if you're married to someone, you're always trying to pull the love out of them, and they're trying to pull the love out of you. That is not a good sign. Because after a while, you get tired of that. And I, if you go to my premarital counseling class, it needs to be the opposite. You need to be focused on pushing love into your spouse, making them feel what that they need and giving them what they need. And if your spouse is pushing love into you and making sure you, that works pretty good. It really does. And the same is true of the body of Christ. If we focus on pushing love into the people around us, into serving one another, into washing one another's feet, it is amazing what God can do in the body of Christ. You understand that you are the earthly body of Christ. That's what he is intending to us. And I, and I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir in, in all of this. I know all of the ways in which you guys are in God, involved in volunteering and giving and your talent and all, all of those sorts of things. But it's so important that we, that we get this in our lives. Because to be spiritually healthy, you need to wash feet and allow others to wash your feet. You need to wash feet and you need to allow others to wash your feet. I call this serving and being served. And in my experience, people tend to fall to one category or the other. People who like to be served, but not so much served. And then here's the guilt trip for all you working hard beavers in here, and people that like to serve, but don't like to be served. I expected amens there. <laughs> try that again. People who like to serve, but don't like to be served. 
Yeah, the guilt should be all over in this place. We, we strive towards interdependence because that's the way Christ built us, and we're going to preach about that uh, later on. But we need to allow people to serve us. <laughs> A couple caught on over here. Okay. Let me try that again. We need to allow people to serve us. Amen. I know that's an amen that's an act of faith on some of your parts, but, but that's, that's a part of it. So let me, let me ask this question. Who washed your feet in life? Who, who, who were the people that maybe growing up or through life have, have served you in some way that was impactful? Part of the thing that's going on right now is most of you know our district superintendent has cancer and it's, they put him on hospice care at this point. He's a very good friend of mine and he poured his life into me. He mentored me. We did peer mentoring together in so many ways and it is so hard because he's one of those people that washed my feet, guided me in all kinds of things. I think of some men in my church that I grew up that just kind of took me under the wing, and that was hard because I was a little ADHD guy running around, you know, and to give you a picture of how patient my church was, the church I grew up in had wooden pews, which meant I could go back and forth during the sermon, you know. You see the preacher's eyes going, you know, trying to get off me, you know, because I just, it's one of the ways... Who washed your feet? Who has poured into you? Who has served you and made a difference in your life? Think about that for a minute. I mean, even on Sunday morning, it takes all kinds of volunteers. We have greeters and coffee stand and worship team and special events and setup and cleanup and compassionate ministries, a huge deal in our church. Really encourage you to get involved in that. I think it was mentioned, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, we're going to the Salvation Army connect with that. Children's ministries, youth ministries, small groups, hosting, serving together in in small groups, all kinds of ways in which people are involved and ways in which you can get involved. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. (laughs) So second question then, whose feet can you wash? Is God bringing someone to mind? How can you go and be Jesus to someone? How can you express love for them? I challenge you to take one step towards more connectedness this week, to serve someone, to deepen a connection by serving them, to wash someone's feet. Do it like it's your last day. Do it like it's your last day. And the towel and the basin that are up here are to be a constant reminder to you of this. They will sit up here all the time. We have the the cup and the bread, and we're going to take communion in just a moment. Uh, We have over there the pitcher that represents baptism. And then the third symbol is the towel and the basin, because we are to be a people that serve one another. Amen? In fact, I've just about decided we should change the name of ministry to foot washing, right? Just everything we do should be connected to that in one way or another. If our musicians would come, we want to close by the other part of that meal. The part of what was going on was the, the foot washing, and then they, they, had, they ate together and had a Passover meal that we've come to call the Last Supper. Uh, and what comes out of that is communion. This is a representation of that very sort of thing. And so as we prepare our hearts this morning, I I just want to say to you, um, he loved them to the end. There is room at this table for you, for every one of you. I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know what's happened to you in life, but I know this. This is God's table. 
He paid for it with his blood, and you are welcome in this place. And I just, we practice open communion. That means you don't have to be a member of this church or any of that kind of stuff. Again, because it's God's table. Amen? And so we're going to ask you in just a minute. I'm going to pray and kind of uh, talk about this just real briefly. But if you could come down this aisle and down those aisles, we'll have the prepackaged ones on either end. And then we have the intinction where you take the little loaf and, not loaf, the little, the circle. and dip it in the juice, and they will say to you, the body of Christ which was broken for you and his blood which was shed for you. And if you want to respond, thanks be to God or amen are good ones. There'll be two down here, and there'll be two back there so that we can kind of get through everybody. And then you can go back up through these aisles uh, through that. But I want to invite you to Christ's table. Whatever's going on, if you need forgiveness, if you need hope, if you need any of that, I want to invite you. And those who are going to help us serve, if you would uh, come and, and uh, be a part of it, and Pastor Kramer will help get you lined out. Hear these words. As we gather at this, the table of the Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed, Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant of forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we come to this table with great humility, mindful that we can be selfish, mindful that we can miss it, Father, mindful that we get tired and don't want to serve and don't want to wash feet and we get judgmental. You remind us that Judas was at the table and you washed his feet and you shared the meal with him. And so, Father, I pray that you would come in now and inhabit these elements, this broken body and shed blood, that by your spirit, Father, you would speak and minister in this place. I've said it as best I know how, but it is by your spirit that real change comes. So we invite you, we open our hearts and ask, Father, that in this moment you would be glorified in all that we say and do. During the supper, the Lord took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, remember the price of this meal. After supper, he took the cup. And when he had again given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember, remember, that heaven is your home. The body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. I invite you to the table of the Lord in the, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, church family. Thank you so much for watching this video. We hope that God is inspiring you and working in your life. If so, make sure you send this video to a friend so that they can be impacted by the good news of the gospel as well. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss a single video. And as always, we hope that God is continuing to work and move in your life. Thanks again for watching. God bless.